This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Tuesday. That's what it is. Hey, it's Tuesday. It's been a busy day for me. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It is an election day. Patrick, have you voted yet? I got nothing to vote for. Well, I shouldn't say that, but... Uh... You are going to vote. You and I are going to have a little talk during the first commercial break. And we're going to find your polling place. You heard Steve Simon yesterday. You don't want to cross a secretary of state. He'll uh, come in with a blood oath. I guarantee it. I definitely do not want to cross Secretary <laughs> Simon or you. Okay. If you know Steve Simon, I know Steve Simon pretty well. Uh, me saying that Steve Simon's going to give anyone a blood oath is that, that's, that's, no, I think you're okay. You know, it's, a, it's not like walls, but, you know, uh, I mean, he'll take you down, he'll chop you right in half. But, uh, no, we're, we're going to talk. You got to get out and vote. It, voting is important. I got, you know, here's the only things that were on my ballot this year were school board, uh, two city council seats, and the mayor. And the mayor ran unopposed. But, you know, it's always a chance to put my name in as a write in. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> mayor Matt McNeil. Oh, Mayor McCheese himself. That's right. <laughs> I was about to say. 952 <laughs> 952-946-6205. It is election day. If you have not gone out and voted, go out and vote. Please do. It is very important. And, and I was talking, my, I brought my daughter, my youngest daughter, who's 16, took her, showed her how to vote, ran into former producer Pete. By the way, ran into former producer Pete. He was there as a poll worker. Good to see you, Pete, my friend. Haven't seen you in, gosh, what, six, seven years? Wow, that was cool. That was cool. I mean, longtime fans of the show, <laughs> longtime fans of the show will uh, remember producer Pete from a long time ago. Uh, but it was good to see him. Got in there, got to vote. And I, and I, as I hammered home to my daughter as we went out and got some breakfast after we voted this morning, I said, as much as people focus on these national elections and stuff like this, it's your city council, it's your school board, the the mayor. These are the races. These affect you every day. It's your water system. It's your sewer lines. It's your road maintenance. It's it's your local parks. You know, it's it's things like that. And and if you don't pay attention, you you you, you know, it can end up going to bite you in the caboose pretty bad. What was it? Well, someone brought up the. A few days ago, I saw someone brought up the the case where there was a city council. This was somewhere in the south. There was a, a city council, and they had a vote, and they they, they voted all in far right guys that wanted to like like liber, real libertarians, not like these Republicans that are trying to find, sound nuanced, but actual libertarians. And they voted in, and they basically uh, turned the police and fire into a pay per use service. But well, they ended up having to turn around in the police pretty quick because the that you know they wouldn't allow them to do that. But fire in that community became a pay to use service, and yeah, 
at that le- that that led to some 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 interesting conversations. But they said, "You know what we stood for when you voted for us," which is not really true. So um, we might have we might we might have Doctor Joe coming in here for a, a brief visit this hour. That remains to be seen. I, I can tell you one thing. Patrick Cooligan is kind enough to join us in the 4 o'clock hour in his usual spot. Brett's not here, so he and I will talk live, talk about election night, talk about that great article I talked about yesterday, other news out there by all means. We can, we'll can we chat with him coming up here in the 4. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Speaking of people that don't really know what they're doing, uh, I will say... The it has been very interesting and it is very telling that the second I started saying, you know, I personally I'm not going to vote for anyone who's endorsed by the Minnesota Parent Alliance. These are the school board candidates. Now, my, my reasoning is pretty solid is that Minnesota Parent Alliance is closely tied for moms to moms to for uh, moms for liberty and as a matter of fact there's a you know they they actually on their resources page of their website is a link to moms for liberty moms for liberty has praised hitler no 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 nope not a chance on the freaking planet no no way nope no ha huh? nope 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 and you can say to yourself well that's not our group well if I found if I found someone if I if I had a friend and one day I went over to their house and I walked in their house and there were a bunch of Nazi flags, we wouldn't be friends. And it could be I could easily say, well, I mean that's just those are just what he decorates his house with. No, no, no. There's guilt by association on this one. If you know them as Hitler quoters, then and you basically haven't said, well, okay, that's a deal breaker. I'm sorry, I don't want anything to do with you. And as a matter of fact, actually still have a link on your web pages to link to that. Well, that tells me everything there. Um, every person who has come out me at me today and attacked me because of my stance and my talking about this with the Minnesota Parent Alliance has immediately gone into the right-wing trollville world that you would expect them to go. This this is not some new age grassroots movement. No, it's not. This is clearly, judging from the attacks I've gotten, from the the way that they've they've kind of, all they want to do is have accountability in the classroom. Some of them don't hide it. Some of them don't hide it. Some of them are quick to come on out there and say something to the effect of, you know what, we 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 hate the teachers union. The teacher union needs to be stopped, and we have to we have to stop the the LGBTQ agenda, and. I don't respect you in any capacity, but at least you're honest about it. At least you're honest about why you're supporting them, why you're for them. At least you're honest about it. It's the other ones who try to keep arguing. It's like, why do you think academic achievement is not something we should be worried about? No, I I think academic achievement is something we should be worried about. And that's why I'm going to stand with the teachers. I'm going to stand with the teachers, and I'm not going to sit out there and make all this 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 hay about how we need to divert more funds from the schools for private vouchers so that wealthy kids can attend private schools for free. Or, um, you know, I, I'm not going to sit there and say that you, you're going to put unfunded mandates on the school anymore. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and say the teachers are horrible, that they don't let you see what's their agenda when 
the teachers will be the first to show you their entire syllabus for the entire school year. And if there is something you don't, as a parent, want your child to learn, they will be the first ones to offer alternative options for you so that you're not offended and everyone's okay. So, no, it's, 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 it is the, it's what you think it is. It is, it's, and this is what they've got. They can't, they've, in Minnesota, they've lost the, the, the legalized dope party shield. They've lost that. And now that dope's legalized. I mean, I'd love to see them try to run it. I want to legalize dope again. Okay, good. All right. Uh, maybe you should cut back on the dope, but yeah, that's just me. They, so their, their entire game plan has to be to trick you into voting for them. Knowing they've got one term, but in one term they can they can fire all the teachers. They can they can basically you know put in all these rules and then try to make it to where you can't revisit it. I mean, think about what happened up in Anoka Hennepin when they had those 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 zealots up there that once again went out and said the rights of the bullies supersede the rights of the kids who are being bullied, and that that means a bully is bullying a kid to death. That well, that's that's good. That was that's a, that they were happy with that. They didn't want to try to stop this. And it was only when they finally got sued that then and only then when the catastrophic mistake came to light, then all of them said, we did we we made our point and now we're going to leave before the school has to pay millions of dollars out to people because we absolutely were horribly wrong. So they they got to sell this in a way we're for accountability. We're for accountability. Look at the people behind it. Look at the people behind it. Now, once again, you can go to their webpage, Minnesota Parent Alliance, and see their endorsed candidates. My advice is that's a who you don't vote for, and they tell you which school districts each one of them are running in. I know in some school districts they're putting on a full court pressure, like in Minnetonka. They're putting on a full court pressure to basically uh, you know, push an agenda to start banning. You know, More than likely, my guess is to start banning books. Uh, to to start basically saying LGBTQ kids don't have a right that parent that 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 teachers have no independent voice in their classroom that they basically have to they have to run everything they say through me me Mrs Right Wing Parent and unless I sign off on it it's a political agenda. By the way, credit to a person that came in today and and posted on me on social media who said. When they say they want to get rid of the politics in the classroom, what they're really saying is they want to get rid of the politics they disagree with in the the classroom and make sure that the only politics that are there are the ones they agree with, which is a 100% factual true thing. The reason why they don't like teachers and they don't like independent voices and they don't like, you know, freedom to to feel safe is because it gives an affront to their version of how things should be. So they're not looking to get rid of politics to get all politics out of the school. They're looking to get rid of politics so that their version of politics are the only ones that are available to the people. That's brainwashing. And that's what the Republicans are very good at. Mike is in Columbia Heights. He wants to chime in on this election day. Welcome on in, Mike. Hi, Matt. I got a question. Why are these parents abdicating their responsibility to raise their children? They're so busy chasing their BMWs and Harley Davidson and speedboats and all the material goods that they try and pawn their responsibility off on the teachers. I'm really sick of it. 
Well, it's, you know, it's, it's and, and Mike, if I can, the information out there, Mike, can I piggyback on what you're saying here for a quick second? And, and yeah, okay, okay, like you know, well, how about it? It's 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 always like when on when they wanted church taught, when they wanted Christian religion taught in schools, it's because parents didn't want to get off their butt on a Sunday morning and take their kids to church, either getting up early or, heaven forbid, not watching part of these six hours of pregame football on a Saturday morning. They had to watch all that, so someone else had to take their kid to church for them. That was a lot of that. No, you're, you're, you know, you, you know, you have an amazing amount of of ability to control your kids' education in our current public education system, and the teachers have been fantastic. I can attest to this because I got three kids that have gone through the public school system. It's been a great thing. No, this is about this is about other people picking up the slack for bad parents. That's right. That's right. That your kid brings home a catch twenty two. You don't want him to read it. You catch him and you take it away from him and send it back to the library. You don't go back and get in the librarian's face for having it on there in their library. It's yeah. ridiculous. Thanks, well, man. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate it. No, I, 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 I would hope that a parent wouldn't yank a book out of a child's hands and say, how dare they check this book out to you? Well, yeah. You, I mean, as much as I can say this is a, an atrocious thing that ex- exists, I have zero doubt you can. I think any parent could call a school and say, my child cannot check out any books out of the library. I, You know, I as much as I disagree with that concept and that thought process to the core, I got to imagine pretty much every public school would accommodate that request that a child, a certain child, if the parent said, I don't want my kids checking out any materials from the public library – that they would be there. If you, if I'd imagine is even if they went further, if they said, I don't want my kids to have a library time where they could possibly read a book. I haven't pre-approved. I have to believe most school districts already would have that in there. This isn't about protecting their kids. This is about determining what your kids can and cannot read. End of story. That's what it is. There are already safeguards in place for any uptight parent or, you know, just, you know, you know, parent who's terrified of the world to basically be able to shut down things that they don't want their children to see. Fine, fine, fine. That's, that's what you want to do. That is your prerogative as a parent. So the fact that that all this stuff exists out there, that, you know, you can, like I said, you, you can review your child's class curriculum you can and you can choose to opt out in any curriculum that your child has in their class. I, the school accommodate that. Your kid doesn't ever have to check out anything. Heck, your kid probably doesn't even have to go into the library at all, ever. And if you truly, really do hate that, you always have the option of either taking your kids and putting them in a private school or homeschooling your children and doing it yourself. Those are all options out there right now in the current system. So if this is about basically anything else, if that's not good enough, it's about control of others. They want to control what your kids want to read. They want to control what your kids learn in a classroom. They want to control what, what, uh, what, what, what kind of kids, what kind of kids can be, what kind of kids. This is, I mean, think about this. I mean, we, we used to have a discussion about whether or not, 
you know, a parent, how does a parent deal with a child that comes out to them and how you will hope they would be open and receptive to it. But now it's because too many parents are open and receptive to their kids being on the, being LGBTQIA plus in that community that they now have to try to stop those parents from being able to allow their children to have their own existence. It's all about control. That's all the Republican Party is about. And if you want other people controlling your child's education, then vote for Republicans because that's what they're all about. And like I said, I'll go back to the statement that was made to me on this. An, an excellent point. An excellent point. When people say, I want to get rid of politics in the classroom, what they're really saying is, I want to make sure the politics I disagree with are removed from the classroom so that my politics are the only politics in that classroom. That is as Republican as it gets. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. I will say Dr. Joe coming up here in about 15 minutes. It's the Matt McNeil Show on here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Voters across the Twin Cities Metro head to the polls on Tuesday for the 2023 municipal election. Uh, The outcome of these uh, local races will shape the politics and policy on issues such as school curriculum, road maintenance, and public safety, the state's most populous region. Uh, Hotly contested city council elections in Minneapolis-St. Paul will determine why their governing bodies in those cities will move farther to the left. Uh, con- uh, consequential races and questions in many suburbs will shape the future of local government pl- and schools across the metro. In Minneapolis, progressives are looking to make more gains on the politically divided 13-member council. All eyes are on whether DFL endorsed challenger Soren Stevenson can topple council president Andrea Jenkins in Ward 8. Political insiders on both sides of the battle expect it to be close. We also are uh, looking at Ward 12, where there's a three-way race to succeed outgoing swing vote Andrew Johnson and the open Ward 7 seat. Meanwhile, member uh, Jeremiah Ellison of the Progressive Block faces a challenge from repeat rival Victor Martinez in Ward 5. The veto-proof majority requires nine votes, even if the more liberal candidates sweep Tuesday's elections. It's unclear whether that coalition can hold up on all issues. For example, Ward 7 candidate Katie Cashman, who's generally running uh, for rival Scott Graham's left, uh, told MinPost she opposes a 3% rent control cap sought by progressives instead of favoring direct rental assistance and strong protections for renters. In St. Paul, four or seven council members are not running for re-election this year. Contested races for those open seats could usher in a younger, more diverse, and more progressive council. The crowded battle in Ward 1, where there's no DFL endorsement in Ward 3, contest between frontrunners DFL endorsed Sarah Jost and Isaac Russell, a fellow Democrat backed by a coalition of business and labor groups. It's possible the next council will be all women for the first time in the city's history. Voters will decide whether to add an additional one-cent sales tax to pay for upgrades on roads and parks. The measure projected to generate $1 billion in revenue over 20 years would get St. Paul the state's highest sales tax rate. Ranked choice of voting could influence the results and lead to upsets in both cities with eight candidates. Second choices could be make uh, the big difference in St. Paul's Ward 1. In Minneapolis's Ward 12, a mailer sent by a repeat candidate, Nancy Ford, features a photo that includes rival Luther Ranheim's lawn signs and a nod to her supporters that also rank him. Um, the the uh, R.N. Chowdhury... Uh, uh, 
Chowdhury as uh, the DFL endorsement in that race. Relatively low turnout means there could be some surprises and incumbents and endorsed candidates. In the suburbs, other communities across the metro will encounter uh, mayoral races, school board measures, sales tax hikes, among other issues. Competitive school board contests are on the ballot across the metro with outside groups spending big on those increased political races. Dozens of districts are also making votes Voters to approve more money for school facilities and technology in Duluth. Incumbent Mayor Emily Larson faces a serious challenge from DFL legislature and council member Roger Reinhardt. In Minnetonka, voters will decide whether to keep their ranked choice voting. In St. Louis Park, they could elect the state's first Somali mayor. So there you go. That gives you a rundown of what's kind of going on out there. Um, please vote, 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 vote. Go to MN, uh, uh, mnvotes.gov, mnvotes.gov. That is, it gives you all the information. First of all, you can find out what's your ballot going to look like. You can find out all the candidates there. And then, by the way, I, you know, you have, I think, um, is it good till eight o'clock tonight? I believe it is. I believe it is voting till eight o'clock tonight. Um, I, I would highly encourage you to get home check, and check out each of the candidates. There are these, these, these forums or referendums, questionnaires. You can find out who you support and what you want to support. Go do that. Take some time. Um, Find out about those things. Find out where you where you do vote. Find out if you're registered. There is same-day voter registration. You can go do that. I highly encourage you to do that. Um, and, and then just, yeah, like I said, go on out there and make sure you vote because these this is an important this is this is important. This is deeply important. So I really, really want to just encourage you to get on there and uh, and 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 do so. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, I will, uh, I, I want to do, do, do we have any idea yet who the uh, St. Paul Minneapolis song from Garth Brooks is, is about? I mean, it's a woman in, in the Twin Cities, apparently, that has been uh, referenced, per se, by Garth Brooks. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that was one thing that was on my agenda. I saw that today. It's not me. Patrick, is it you? Is he singing about you? I would love to think so. Yeah, I would too. I mean, it's Garth Brooks, man. He kind of, he's, I, mean, if I was watching Willie Nelson get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this last weekend. I kind of, you know, Garth Brooks is kind of, to a point, he kind of supersedes, he, he's very country, but he kind of supersedes it. He just is kind of one of those kind of iconic American voices, and he's done so much across all different realms of music that I, you know, I, I, and he's just a nice guy. When him and Trisha Yearwood came out and did the Habitat for Humanity stuff, and they kicked it off in St. Paul, bless you. That is absolutely outstanding. So I am an unabashed Garth Brooks fan. I, I will stand by Garth all day long. That's for sure. Uh, one other thing that crossed my mind here, and I do want, I'm going to put this out here, and if anyone knows anything about this, come on. This is the kind of crud we need to actually crack down on. Weeks before its grand opening, the Country Lights Festival in Sartell has fallen victim to vandalism as someone severed a string of lights on most of its decorations. The festival said on Facebook that 90% of its trees that were set up by volunteers were found cut on Thursday will have to be restrung before the invite-only grand opening on November 24th. Organizers have since asked for additional help to be ready on opening day. They're also accepting donations. Sartell Mayor Ryan Fitzhume responded to the news on Facebook saying, did you know that over 20,000 people visit the amazing festival each year? It's time for our community to rally and show that, that the Grinch doesn't stand a chance in Sartell. Well, I got news for you. He's already done this. Whoever's done this, they have done this. Um, it's a free to attend event held each year around Lake Francis. The Country Light Festival is. 
Uh, I would like to know if anyone knows who this is. Um, I, I would, yeah, by all means, if you know who, who did this, I think that that is a, you know, someone, someone needs to be held accountable. This is, this is just unacceptable. And I'm sorry, you're, I'm sorry your life is that miserable that you have to lash out like this at other people. For God's sakes, go seek some counseling, go seek some help, go seek something. But don't, don't do stuff like this, for goodness sakes. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Take a break. When we come on back, Dr. Joe is going to join us briefly before we get into some other news this afternoon. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, Dr. Joe Eastman is our expert on COVID health care issues as well as other health care crises. He's kind enough today to join us about something that's you know, kind of, he, it, it's it's getting to in his craw, and he's pretty upset about it as we, especially we get into the fall here and in this rise of, of COVID cases. Dr. Joe, thank you very much. As always, I appreciate the time. Well, thank you for giving me some time to chime in on this uh, important issue. I, I appreciate it. Now, y- you have some big problems with the Healthcare Infection Control Advisory Committee, or HICPAC, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's that's all you say it. Yeah. And um, yeah, tell, first of all, t- t- why don't you just explain what exactly does this organization do? They pretty much set the uh, safety standards for our hospitals around the country. And uh, it's kind of a thing that protects the CDC's back so they don't get sued for massive amounts because of uh, negligence and such. So um, they're setting, like, the masking policy and uh, and different things in terms of the the surgical hardware and and things like that, all kinds of different aspects of hospital safety. Now, and and, um, and is this this committee made up of, I mean, I'm presuming it's all pretty established healthcare professionals, correct? Uh, it's supposed to be. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the problem is that they're only got about uh, just over half of the 14 members they should have on the committee right now. And uh, they're pretty much in lockstep, we think, mainly with uh, more money interest instead of the, the human interest part of, of health care that we all care about. So. so they put, they put down a recent ruling that you pretty much highly disagree with. What what exactly w- was this ruling about? Yeah, it was uh, concerning. You know, they it was 2021. I think the CDC finally admitted that uh, COVID was uh, aerosol. It's airborne. It's not through droplets. Mm-hmm. If it was droplets, it wouldn't be so infectious. So these aerosol particles they can circulate. You know, tens of feet throughout. <laughs> throughout a building or wherever your house and um so anyways uh what the what they've done is they ignored the uh, aerosol science and um they're you know which requires an n95 surgical masks were were created to uh you know stop uh droplets and bodily fluids and things like that they weren't intended for airborne pathogens and things like that so um you know if you want a safe hospital then you're going to have to put on a good mask mm-hmm. and um, what they did is basically said and this is the worst of both scenarios 
they said we recommend in a general hospital setting uh, these surgical masks, but they're optional. Uh, you don't have to have them. So I'm worried that uh, it's going to come back, and they're, they're going to end up getting sued, I think, the CDC for negligence, because this whole recommendation process is illegal right now. It has no legal weight or anything because they're uh, five members short of the uh, 14 required in their charter to make these kinds of decisions. Now, and, uh, one one thing I want to clarify when you're saying there are tens of feet, you're talking about if there's someone that has COVID, their aerosol impact zone is tens of feet away from that one individual, correct? That's correct. That's correct. Yep. And exactly. then, and then, and and so when you're talking about, they have said they they've not mandated the 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 good masks in hospitals. Clearly, we're not talking about in surgical because obviously that that's that's something where there there's there. Are, are we just talking what in emergency rooms, just in the hallways? What what are they talking about? Is where their advice is for these masks or the lack uh, of masks? The lack of masks is throughout the entire hospital, like you say, obviously not the surgical <laughs> mm-hmm. surgical areas and things like that. But then they also have some different classifications based on what kind of patients comes in and whether they should be quarantined and, and things like that. It's called special air con- precautions and the extended air precautions. So um, those are they, they uh, require N95s in those types of areas, but that's with highly infectious people. So in the general hospital environment, they're um, they're saying these surgical masks are optional. And uh, boy, when I go to the hospital, I want to I want to make sure I'm safe, and I want to make sure other people are safe. And and this is clearly not going to cut it. And uh, like I say, they're open for lawsuit right now if they they continue with this. So people can, we've got 60 days, it's going to sit in front of the CDC, and I strongly urge people to, to call the uh, Inspector General of Health and Human Services and, and voice concern about this issue, because it's everybody's health is going to be impacted. Um, the So, and okay, and one of the things I mean... I'm having a hard time with one thing is like, I mean, these hospitals have to have a ton of the good masks just sitting in a warehouse somewhere. I mean, you would think they would. We just went through a pandemic. At the very least, they <laughs> should have some of this stuff there. When you say that there there might be some money influence here, I'm presuming you're talking about the hospitals and that this is a, a condition of, well, we don't want it. I mean, it, it's, you know, we can give them the cheap mask or we can give them the more expensive mask. It saves us more money. We can make more profit if we get the cheaper mask. Is that where you think the pressure is coming to this this board? Maybe a little bit. A lot of it is kind of personal convenience, too, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, you know, that, but you're kind of on to something. Uh, you know, N95s now are getting down to the price where they're almost the same as surgical masks. So um, it does confuse me a little bit. It's mainly the healthcare industry just wants their own freedom to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, whether it's financial or, or personal convenience, you can't really be sure which mm-hmm. one it is. So it's a very frustrating uh, situation right now. I, I, I've, I've been thinking about this all weekend and, and, uh, it's it really, driven me nuts. <laughs> well, and it, one of the things we should understand is, and I, and I can speak to this because of earlier this year, you know, if you are in a hospital environment, 
you are, I mean, you, you, you talk about this is there, there's a lot of people in there that have to be very careful. You can't, uh, you know, it's, you know, you, you can't have a, a person's not generally just staying in their hotel, in their, their hotel, their hospital room. They're not generally staying in their hospital room. They're generally moving around. They want to go into, you know, re a rehabilitation. They might go to a different, go get an x-ray. They might go get a consult. They might be doing this. They're generally going all over a hospital environment. So it's not, is there, there seems to almost be a, a real lack of common sense here because the first thing you should say is, well, it's clear that, that, that this person is just not going to just be in a room, but even if they were just in their room, every person that comes in the room, even if they just put on a mask at that point is, is being themselves being subjected to, to things outside that, that room. So, I mean, it, it, this doesn't make any damn sense, really. You, you've hit the nail right on the head, man. It's, it's totally ridiculous. I mean, Last time I was in the hospital for an extended period, it was kind of during a peak part of the COVID. And uh, they said, you can't go out in the hall unless you put your mask on. And I yeah. Went, oh, I didn't know COVID stopped at the door. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what are these people thinking? <laughs> Is it, it no you, you had said there, there might be an element of this, of just people just are tired of the masks. It's, you know, that was so 2020. Do we really have to do that now? The reality is, is and you, you have said this bluntly is <laughs> COVID or not, it could be something else. We are really just, we had a nice little reminder that we are, it, we are very susceptible because not because that that viruses necessarily have to be that deadly or that persistent. It's just that we have so many people who just you know whose feeling of an inconvenience of wearing a mask is more important than stopping themselves from getting a deadly disease. And I think that this is this is the world that we live in today. That's why you have to have these kind of standards put into place. <laughs> You're precisely right. I mean, why would you even go into the healthcare industry if you weren't concerned about? Your fellow humans' health—just <laughs> yeah, a smidge, you think? So, okay, yeah, so, yeah. So, so there is—you—you had mentioned there is a public comment period that people can kind of get. Wh what's the process? Do you know off the top of your head what the process here is if people want to come out there and voice their concern about this? Yeah, if you go onto the, just do a, a quick search for CDC and HICPAC, and you'll you'll be able to find their website and. The public comments uh, for HICPAC actually ended yesterday, but the CDC one is open for the next 60 days. And um, there, there's a place where you can just type in your message, or if you go to my newsletter, I have a, a kind of a canned thing that you can cut and paste and, and submit. Um, we had over 640 pages of public comment. There were so many people concerned about this, and uh, that's that's never happened to HICPAC before, so... We got their attention. Um, my one of the, the co-founders of the WHN that I work with is—he's got the ear of the Inspector General now. But I would urge people to uh, actually call the Inspector General at two zero two six one nine three one four eight. And again, there's a can canned uh, talking point that I have in my newsletter that they can look at and, and uh, just voice their concern. Uh, Dr. Mandy Cohn just took over at the CDC, and uh, frankly, she's dropped the ball. Our boosters this year aren't even close to what it was last year. So she's she's not the answer to what's going on there. You have and to I, 
Oh. I believe that the CDC is just not set up for a pandemic. I'll put it that way. Well, it, it seemed, which is remarkable, it seems like they just pulled back really fast. I mean, they sounded like they were kind of, I mean, when Joe Biden took office, I was kind of surprised at how well he was able to get you know, vaccines out, kind of you know, this and holding his own. But it just seems like that there is this steady backpedaling because, you know, frankly, public opinion doesn't want anything to do with it. And it seems to have permeated pretty much all levels of the government on that side. Yeah, that's right. In the, you know, in terms of economic interests and the workforce and such, it was very short-sighted because we're losing people to the workforce due to long COVID or PASC, as they call it, uh, at a pretty alarming rate. And uh, you think about doing this for decades, it's not sustainable. <laughs> it's going to cost a fortune, and a lot of people are going to leave the workforce. And, and we're getting kids that are going to be sick the rest of their life because of this. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm uh, sometimes I feel like just throwing my arms up and saying the heck with it. I've I've had enough, but uh, you got to keep going. (laughs) There have been people, there are people that have been sick for three years, three years. And, and that is, that is insane. And, and the reality is, is that it's, it's, it's not a sustainable system for our healthcare system. It's not sustainable for a lot of things, but the only, I can tell you one thing, if we don't take it seriously, that's the quickest way people are not going to get better and we're going to have more of this problem. So uh, HICPAC is H-I-C-P-A-C, H-I-C-P-A-C, and the CDC open session for comment is on for 60 days. That's going on right now. So just search HICPAC, H-I-C-P-A-C, and CDC, and you can get into their comment section and do that. Uh, Dr. Joe, uh, like I said, I'm glad you're bringing awareness to this because the reality is, is that you know, you know, things like this, this is one of those things. It's, it's, it, I guarantee you, most people had no idea what HICPAC is, let alone that the fact that they were putting in some really bad rules that are going to jeopardize people's health. So I'm glad you're, you're, you're on this. And as much as, as much as this gets to be frustrating, you know, I, I thank God for you every day, man, because you're, you've been oh, out there doing a lot of good work. So I appreciate everything you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for letting me have a little time to, to get the word out there and, uh, one last thing, remember J.1. <laughs> That's the new bugger coming at us. J.1. So, uh, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, just what you wanted to hear, right? <laughs> Tell you what, how about how about next week we'll have you on, get a full COVID update then. How about that? Oh, that'd be wonderful. All right, Dr. And Joe. hopefully I'll have some more good news from the Mayo Clinic for you. Too. All right, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll teach you how to give a nice little side punch to Hickpack. All right, well, we'll do that. <laughs> Dr. Joe Eastman. Uh, Dr. Joe, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you much today. Uh, nine, Thanks, man. You bet. Take care. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Uh, since we're in medicine, let me, let me say I got two medical stories here. I'll do one here before we get into the break. I, I do love this. This is a story that was breaking today. Minnesota hospitals can no longer pursue collection activities on overdue bills until they screen patients for charity care that could reduce or eliminate their debts. Now, what 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 this is, at least, at least is why I'm understanding this, is you know how a lot of these companies talk about, we set aside money to help out poor families, to help get through this. Oh, it's great. They, they run a nice little ad campaign or something like that. It's one thing that they do that. It's another thing on whether or not they make it easy for people to get access to such aid and assistance when they need it. And that seems to be a bit of the problem is that these companies are saying that there is this assistance, but they're never once, you know, the same companies are not never once advising these patients who they're starting to hound for pay 
that, oh, by the way, you could get some relief through this program. The requirement took effect November 1st as a result of state legislation. Lawmakers were prompted to act this year by reports that hospitals were suing patients for debts that were eligible for discounts or write-offs. Had Yolanda Pearson known she was eligible for assistance, she said she could have paid off mounting medical debts and avoided collection efforts by Mayo Clinic, which at one point cut off her family's access for four months to non-emergency care. Nobody ever told us the... One second here. Um... Nobody ever told us that. There it is. Um, that that uh, any types of benefits or anything of that we could qualify for, said Pearson, a Blaine mother who sought treatment at the Mayo in Rochester six years ago after her son's debilitating eye condition. We had insurance, so I guess they didn't just think to talk to us about it. The difference between a patient supported by charity care and one settled with debts has sometimes been random. Even though hospitals have clear income and clinical guidelines to determine which patients qualify for help. Some patients simply didn't know to ask. Senator Liz Bolden, DFLer from Rochester, said she authored the screening legislation to give everyone a chance to find out if they qualify for help. Minnesota has low adult and uninsured rate under 5%, but a substantial underinsured population that can't afford high co-pays and the deductibles of health plans. Bolden, a nurse, credited the investigation by the Rochester Post Bulletin for identifying patients who could have received charity care but instead were sued by Mayo for unpaid bills. This is a significant, and, and we should understand something. These so-called non- nonprofit hospitals, they, they're looking for profit. And yeah, there's a lot of talking about, they'll talk about the benevolence that they do. The reality is their actions are generally a lot of times very different than their, what, the, what they're saying they're doing. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Um. This is a significant problem for Minnesotans in many ways. It has far-reaching effects, said Bolden. When families have exorbitant medical debts, that is money that they are not spending on groceries or even for future health care. I talk a lot about patients who are avoiding care because they're worried about the cost. Hospitals under the new requirement can offer loan payments or repayment plans until they've determined whether patients are eligible for charity care or discounts. Advocates believe the problem for the medical debt is worse than it appears in Minnesota. A widely cited national report estimates that 2% of Minnesota adults have medical debts in collection compared to 15% of adults nationally. However, the report is based on debts sent to collection agencies, and Minnesota hospitals have agreed in a deal with the state attorney general to not file debts with such agencies. The 2% figure mostly accounts for outpatient and other sources of medical care that aren't subject to hospital agreement. I'll tie this back into Dr. Joe. I can tell you I am aware of at least eight families in rural Minnesota who are saddled with such medical debt that it's there's almost it's a feeling of futility that they're ever going to be able to pay it off. And almost, if I'm not mistaken, almost all of it has COVID related, which is crazy. But they didn't. They didn't think COVID was that serious. And and next thing you know, they they ended up having multiple family members, a few of them sick for a few months. Not many people can weather that storm. And on top of it, we should note that in rural parts of this country, there are still people who say, if you get the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, you're a loser. <laughs> like that's something that that apparently works. I guess. Um, yeah. You. Yeah. It's, it is hard to comprehend 
the the damage that has been done here. But once again, and this is even though there is a lot of very successful industrialized countries that don't have the, a massive portion of their population crippled by medical debt. USA, USA. This is something that apparently we feel we just have to do here because life isn't free, I guess. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Another medical story when I come on back, which has got kind of a funny side note to it. I'll talk about that when I do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. By the way, Cooligan coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. Make sure you're here for that. Sunday, October 15th issue of the Star Tribune arrived on my doorstep, wrapped in a four. This is a, an editorial from the, Star, from the, the Reformer. Uh, Four-page advertisement and something called Alina Health Aetna. Alina is the 12-hospital multi-clinic chain Aetna, which was bought by the drug chain CVS for $69 billion five years ago, is a health insurance company. The purpose of the ad was to urge the 20% of Minnesotans who are eligible for Medicare, the nation's health insurance program for the elderly and the disabled, to enroll in Alina Aetna's Medicare Advantage plan. Medicare Advantage is the misleading name given to the privatized portion of Medicare, the portion in which tax dollars are funneled through insurance programs so they can take 15% off the top to pay for administrative costs and profit before sending the other 85% to doctors and the hospitals with strings attached. The traditional Medicare program, the unprivatized portion, does not funnel money through insurance companies. It pays doctors and hospitals directly, and it devotes around 2% of its expenditures to administrative costs. Today, half of all Medicare beneficiaries are insured by insurance companies. The other half are insured by traditional Medicare. So basically what it is is traditional Medicare is basically a nonprofit health insurance, but the privatized Medicare is is basically for profit, where they can take 15% right off the top, goes into people's pockets, and that's that. Alina Aetna ad boasted about extra services with their Advantage program plan, covers that Congress has never allowed the traditional Medicare program to cover. The upper half of the first page of the ad was taken up with these words. Can I get dental, vision, and hearing benefits in a Medicare plan? Just before the floors were the words, yes, yes, and yes. What the ad didn't explain was how health insurance companies not only survive with Medicare, but make big profits. After all, Congress enacted Medicare in 1965 because the health insurance industry didn't want to insure the elderly and the disabled. Uh, how is that today's insurance companies offer extra services and still make an outlandish profit despite their high administrative costs? American health insurance companies make 2.5 times as much profit per enrollee in Medicare as they do with their private sector customers, according to uh, research papers on health insurance financial performance. The answer, they're vastly overpaid. So you see this. Now, here is why, by the way, I get a chuckle out of this. So lately, my guilty pleasure has been watching the X-Files on Comet. You know, I because it just blows my mind when I saw it. It's like, oh, my God, this is 30 years ago. And that, that blows my mind. I mean, it, it's a great show. I love it. And it's on Comet at nights. So I'm generally watching one or two episodes and getting reminded of like how much I really did enjoy that series. You can tell that the this is this is TV geared for older people, because it's there are tons of ads for this, um, for stool softener, <laughs> this stool softener and uh, erection dysfunction erectile dysfunction pills and and um, 
oh, uh, you know, some drugs, some certain drugs that are geared for certain people. That, that's what the, most of the advertising there is. So I'm pretty familiarized with these, and I kind of always wondered what the difference was, and I want to give them credit here. Just keep that in mind that this is something that's out there. You have to be careful, though, because as much as these companies promise you a lot of things, if you read further through the article, it's basically an admission that, well, they'll say they cover a lot of things, but there's lots and lots of hoops you got to jump through. And yeah, it, it's, it, you know, it's it, this is just a profit margin system there, as you know, as they talk about it. So it would be interesting. I think the insurance companies would turn on the Republicans dr- dramatically if they try to get rid of this. That's for sure. Hour two, it's up next. Hour number two of the show here on your election day Tuesday, Matt and Patrick here, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We will get Patrick Cooligan on from Minnesota Reformer in just a second. I did want to mention just one thing in regards to the news at the top of the hour. Lawmakers are opposed to try to censure uh, Rashida uh, Tlaib, uh, the Democrat from Michigan, over what they claim is anti-Semitism criticism of Israel. The House on Tuesday rejected a Democratic motion table to censure resolution. Uh, by a vote of 213 to 28, meaning the House will vote on the actual resolution on Wednesday. The resolution by a Republican from Georgia accuses her, the only Palestinian member of the Congress, of promoting false narratives regarding October or October 7, 2023. Uh, so six Republicans voted to table the censure. Uh, Representative Thomas Massey told the Huffington Post he opposes punishing colleagues for public statements citing free speech protections. But you see, this is, this is once again, this is just a, your standard, you know, here they are. It's it's they're 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 all for freedom of speech unless it's something they don't like, and then they're going to go after you. Now, once again, I'm not going to you know what Hamas did to Israel was unforgivable. At the same time, this is the response has been fairly heavily heavy-handed. I mean, it's it's you know Hamas hiding in hospitals and schools is is cowardly. But then Israel firing into those locations is is you know only playing into their hands. It, it this is a mess. I will say this: for all the people out there who are right now furious at how Biden isn't basically, I guess, ordering Netanyahu. Who let's let's understand something about Benjamin Netanyahu. Benjamin Netanyahu wants the Gaza Strip so he can basically resettle a good chunk of it, and it sounds like he's now putting out the forward that they are going to permanently police the Gaza area. So this is the end of self-rule. They're going to basically be under the, the, the under a guard in the Gaza Strip. That's going to be the case because that's been Netanyahu's thing. He's, he has basically been much more for, for basically expansion of Jewish neighborhoods, Jewish communities into other areas. And that's kind of what he wants to do with Gaza. That's kind of what his, his, his plan is. And this is giving him an opportunity to make that happen. You can be critical of a lot of things. Um, you clearly can be critical of Moss. You can be critical of how the Palestinians are being held. You can be critical of the Palestinians electing Hamas. You can be critical of Israel's heavy-handedness. There's there is no right or wrong. There is no one way or the other. It just it's you, this is a complicated mess. It is. That being said, I think that if you start saying that people can't say certain things about certain people. That's just, I, I think that's, that is, yeah. I know that they'll pat themselves on the back about making a strong stance, but all the people out there who are saying, oh, well, Joe Biden, you know, he's failing us. He's failing this. Let me tell you something. Have you seen there, there, this upcoming election? 2024 is going to be two choices. That's it. 
There is no third choice. There is no nothing else. It's this or the Republicans. And the Republicans have introduced a bill to expel all Palestinians. The, the Republicans are practically going after freedom of speech by saying that a sitting representative can't, who's Palestinian, can't say anything pro-Palestinian or else. You need to understand what's on the other side of that aisle. And yeah, it's, it's you, you know, hey, Joe Biden has failed me on a few things, but you're freaking crazy if you think that I want another four years of Trump or whoever the Republicans are there. That's just not an option. So just make sure you understand there is no, there's no equals. There's no nothing. The Republicans right now are crazy train and they will literally allow anyone to just shoot every Palestinian and be done with it. And that's, and that is who they are. That's, that is who they are. So if you sit there and you say, well, Joe Biden's lost my vote. I'm going to tell you it's, it's either Joe Biden or Donald Trump. If Donald Trump is the nominee, it's one of the two. And so don't feign outrage when all of a sudden things get a heck of a lot worse there for Palestinians because of Donald Trump. You you, you can't feign outrage about, well, this is not what I voted for. Well, kind of it is. You, you, hey, I the two-party system, I'll be the first to say it's very it's very constrained. It, it doesn't give us a lot of options. It's there. But that's the system we're operating under in 2024, and nothing's going to change that. So... That's what you have to deal with. So if you, you know, before you sit there and start convincing yourself of the person that you agree with 70% of the time is truly evil, then reminder, the guy that you agree with 5% of the time, he ain't going to be your buddy. That's not, that's not how this works. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Usually this is the time when Brett comes in here and we, we get to listen to his great interviews he does with Patrick Cooligan. Brett is gone today. So Patrick Cooligan is kind enough to join me live to talk about various news stories that the Minnesota Reformer has been covering on Election Day. Patrick, Grand Pooba of Minnesota Reformer, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Always a pleasure. It's it's nice to have you with us today. Um, election day. Uh, talk a little bit about this. I mean, it's you know obviously it seems like I mean the Duluth mayor's race is very interesting, um, and then of course there's the interesting vote out in Minnetonka about whether to repeal uh, you know you know um, ranked choice voting. But the reality is is this the, where the the meat and potatoes is this election cycle is in Minneapolis and St. Paul, correct? Yeah, I think I would also add. Um few other issues, one of these school boards, where we've seen a lot of outside money uh, come in and a lot of really partisan players uh, who are trying to get uh, their hands on uh, school board seats. Uh, and then there's also a big school bonding issue down in Mankato that um, has rather mysteriously also drawn some big cash uh, from an outside business group. The Mankato one is that, I mean, there have been in outstate Minnesota, there's been a lot of these school referendums that are out there. There's a group out of Iowa that they've been hired to come on in. Is that, is that the same, to your knowledge, do you know if that's the same group that's been, uh, that has been in the state before trying to fight these referendums? No, I know the one you're referring to, but this is actually uh, 2022 Republican uh, nominee for Attorney General Jim Schultz. He started this new, um, I think it's called the Minnesota Private Business Council. And he's gone to the kind of the usual suspects of uh, Republican donors, and uh, they're spending 
$47,000 negative ads to try to beat the the bonding referendum there in Mankato. Um, A little mysterious because Schultz's aim uh, is apparently to to help Republicans get the the legislature back and become competitive statewide again. So I'm not really sure what their interest is in the Mankato school bond issue. <laughs> well, if I may, I think part of this is, and you and I, have talk, when you were talking about that before, about the, the guys in Iowa, there has been this effort to appeal to Republicans in Republican areas about killing these these school referendums. And, and granted, and we can have a long discussion about how schools are funded, and, it's, and it just, it is hard, especially in rural parts of the, 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 the state. But they have defeated them, and then unexpectedly, well, the school then closed down, and they had to go all of a sudden drive. You know, they basically stopped paying an extra $100 in property taxes just so now they have to drive an extra 20 miles to school every day to get their kid, which, you know, that's going to kind of eat up that money pretty quick. You know, it, it, there is this – I think when you look at them going after Mankato – that's an area where it's it's kind of a toss-up area. There are some Democrats down there, but maybe they feel as if they can incite enough of the the a red menace wave down there that they can actually make a an impact come uh, the uh, House races next time around. Yeah, my, maybe my my uh, my gut tells me that there's some donor to the Minnesota Private Business Council uh, who lives in Mankato and doesn't want to pay more in property taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a simpler explanation, uh, but certainly with the school boards, um, they, they, you're seeing a lot of money. Um, there's something called the Anoka Hennepin Parents Alliance, which is uh, an affiliate of the Minnesota Parents Alliance, um, and they've raised uh, they, they had raised as of last week more than forty four thousand for for races there. And the school boards, I mean, there's there's a national wave of reactionaries uh, trying to get on school boards because they want to ban books and, and they don't want us to teach history of uh, white supremacy and so forth. But there's a second aim there, and that is a school board is a good launching pad to run for the legislature. There's a number mm-hmm. of legislators who served on school boards. Um, and so uh, I think they're trying to, to win some, some seats on school boards with the hope that they could um, get these, um, these newly elected officials in shape to run for the legislature as soon as 24, I suppose, but probably uh, in the uh, in the future as well. The Minnesota Parent Alliance, you brought up the fundraising they had. Isn't a lot of that funding, though, came from one person? Yeah, there's uh, a person named Mary Ann Nystrom um, had sticked in $30,000. Uh, she's apparently founded uh, behavioral health clinics with her husband, Brian, Um and uh, so, yeah, they're they're pushing hard um, on on uh, the, the one of the largest schools. I think it's the largest school district in the state of Noka Hennepin. Yeah, well, and and we should mention that we've had Anoka Hennepin at one point, not that long ago, had a far right conservative majority, which is where they had that group that basically said the rights of the bullies was more important than the rights of the kids that were getting bullied. And it ended up creating all sorts of problems and an unsafe school environment. And frankly, sadly enough, a lot of dead kids who'd committed suicide because they were being bullied to death there. And it was only when the school district got sued that all of those far-right school board members kind of all of a sudden said, we're not going to run again. This seems like this is, you know, it's not the same thing, but it's a, a new wave, a new version of this because they still look at Anoka Hennepin as prime territory, at least in the metro area where they can cultivate some Republican support. Right. I, 
as I recall, there was a there was a settlement in that case. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, they the Republicans they need to win in the suburbs, and uh, they've taken a real beating um, in the last uh, since twenty eighteen. And so, if they're going to uh, compete, they they need to do it in some of these districts. The the city of Minneapolis. There is this real question. I mean, it, it and frankly, if I can say this, I think this entire endorsement process is a mess. It is, you know, they they you know they they get people who are endorsed, and then a lot of Democrats are you know out there openly supporting their challenger, or they they basically end up having endorsement conventions going into chaos. There, there seems to be more infighting going on here. I don't think this is going to get any better, regardless of what the outcome is tonight. But it is, it, it is interesting to see because there is really a a massive conflict that's going on. That I think that within the city cores themselves, the DFL has to come into a bit of an identity crisis because they don't, they have to get better at at, at identifying who they are and what they're standing for. And it seems like they're almost trying to play both sides of the same coin. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the uh, I think we'll get some answers after the results come in tonight. Um, I think uh, a key race for me is going to be uh, Soren Stevenson, who lost an eye in the George Floyd protest. He's challenging uh, the council president Andrea Jenkins. Um, you know, you would never think that um, that that our a black trans woman uh, who would certainly viewed rightfully so as a trailblazer. But is is seen as a as too much of an accommodationist with the the city's relatively moderate mayor, and so the progressives want to kick her out. Um, and I think that you know, depending on how that race goes, that'll that'll tell us a lot about how things are going to go in Minneapolis. Uh, the progressives hope to to get a the nine. They want to win nine of the thirteen wards, and then we'll have a veto-proof majority. Um, and and feel like they can finally uh, really confront the mayor um, on a lot of their key issues. The thing which is interesting is it's you know the the idea of working with Mayor Fry. You know, Mayor Fry won overwhelmingly the last time he was up for election, and and then there was a lot of vocal people who were saying they were going to don't rank Fry, don't go on out there, and he ended up you know I think exceeding expectations and winning re-election there. And so the idea that 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 you know working with him is so con- is conceived to be by certain in certain areas as you know betrayal is it is kind of an interesting concept because overall at least the city the last time he was on the ballot you know so they they supported him. Sure, I mean I I think that that's um, something that um, progressives the the Minneapolis progressives are. are having to confront and, and never quite have, despite losing uh, elections. That is, um, they, they may be um, in the minority in the city. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, Representative Ilhan Omar's really very close yeah. primary election in 22, I mean, that was another signal that, you know, the city might not be as far left as some of the uh, left-wing activists have assumed or hoped. Um, and so, you know, what that tells you is that maybe they need to do some persuading. Um, and in this kind of, uh, political environment, I, I think that gets lost on some folks and that, and, and it can be hard to do. People are, they're in their crouched in their corners and, um, it's, it's hard to do that persuasion work. And so you, you just kind of 
assume that uh, what you really need to do is is uh, activate and just you know if we could just get more of our base out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, you know, twenty one was a really pretty high turnout municipal election. Yeah, and and it was really a bloodbath um, for the city's um, most progressive uh, activists. Well, and you bring up a very interesting point, and can we, let's bring in Duluth in on this because you know that's that that is a deep blue area up there in Duluth. You you would think Emily Larson would be a shoe in but the more moderate Roger Reinhardt is really giving her fits, and it's going to be interesting to see how that race goes. Maybe the question that we have is that there's always this mentality that these inner city core areas are as left as left gets, but the reality is is that they're more traditional Democrats than more progressive Democrats. And and I think that your your point there, maybe we're just seeing this played out, that the idea that there, there's extreme leftism, leftism in the metro cores is really more of a product of media interpretation as opposed to reality. Yeah, and also the loudest voices. You know, if you spend your yeah. day on Twitter, <laughs> you would think that those are the folks who control the cities and, and certainly the DFL party. Um, but there's, I mean, most people are not on social media. And there's just, I think both cities have a lot of normie Dems um, who uh, want a focus, and you could say this about Duluth too, probably. Um, that they, they want to focus on basic city services and they see um, a lot of room for improvement in, in those areas. And, you know, honestly, I have uh, hopes for um, progressive governance, but I also think that government needs to do the basics. Well, and you bring this up. I have a friend in Minneapolis who said, it's hard for me to get on these far-left causes when I see that they can't even shovel off crosswalks effectively so people can get off without having to climb over a mountain of snow. And you know, that's as, as kind of trivial as that is, that actually is a really good point. I mean, you want to be able to have... You know, it, it, you have to have a livable city, and there is, you know, there have been some studies that have done with just the practicality of Minneapolis is not right quite there. It's not easy for people to 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 kind of get into auxiliary issues knee deep when you know you can see, like you said, you know, the basic quality of life living. That's where the most of it's at, and that's not necessarily a progressive thing. It's just more of a quality of life thing. Yeah, and I mean that—that's a good segue over to St. Paul, where yeah. uh, the mayor, you know, has is asking for an additional penny uh, sales tax. It would give St. Paul the highest uh, sales tax in the state, and this is to do roads. and And I think that there's a, you know, a, a, a obviously if you, if you drive around St. Paul, I live in St. Paul, I live off Marshall. I mean, it's it's a mess, yeah. and something needs to be done. The question is, like, well, where's the money going now? Um, and they they would say, well, we we have all these government buildings because the state capital is in St. Paul, and and we're not getting property tax um, for that. We have all these nonprofits, and they don't pay uh, the, they don't pay for the road construction. Um, but you know, I think voters at some point they probably they're looking to say, well, we have the highest sales tax in the state, so do we have the best services in the state? I feel like they think that there should be some equivalency there. I'm not sure that they see it. Um, and so well, this will be another interesting signal from St. Paul voters tonight if they're, uh, they're feeling generous and, and, uh, or they're just so desperate to see improvement in the roads or if they're feeling a little uh, flinty 
um, and, and want to send a signal to city government that uh, they need to do a little more with less. Or with the same, I should say. Well, and I guess there is the other side of that. If you talk about doing, you know, you know, kind of more with the same, it, it, there comes a point where, okay, it's St. Paul. It is a major metropolitan area. Are you saying you need more snow plows? Are you saying you need more road crews? I, I think that we've had ex- examples in Minnesota if we say we're going to pay for six new road crews that are going to go out there and take their roads. If you just put it to people like that, very simplistic. This is going to be their payroll. Here's the trucks. Here's the equipment. This is what it'll cost. Here's what we need for the administrative side of it. Boom. Here's the price tag. We need to raise it like this. I, I Most people in the state are like, okay, fine. I can, I can get that. Yeah, the, the legitimate question you bring up is still there. It's like, well, where's the money that's supposed to be going to this now? But maybe it's just a case where the city's growing. I think that this, you know, when you, as you say, it's, it's you know, the roads are bad. And, and it just, it doesn't feel like, you know, to a point, you almost kind of wonder, is this going to be enough? or and, and will this money definitively be dedicated to the roads and parks as you're dictating it's going to be? Well, money's fungible. Yes, it <laughs> so is. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to see. Um, I, uh, uh, I definitely want improved city services. I'm not sure if that's going to require more money or not. Okay. You know, St. Paul is, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I know a lot of people that live over there that will tell me in a heartbeat it's better than living in Minneapolis. But I also hear a lot of people over there that say that, you know, there are some issues there. It just, it doesn't seem to get the, 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 the races are going on tonight. They don't seem to get the, the tenacious value that the Minneapolis races kind of get. And so it just, it, 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 maybe they just seem so much more, they're, they're, hey, how, we're just going to vote for me or vote for them. We'll vote for one of us. It's going to be good enough for that. You know, it doesn't, has it been more contentious over there than we're seeing in the media? It's, it's competitive, but um, I mean, we are the smaller uh, fraternal twin, the lower key twin um yeah but there are and i I think there's you know we have a strong mayor system and people like mayor carter for good reason he's a good ambassador to the city and so i think there's uh, and there is less of that really deep ideological division that you see in minneapolis um but the city has issues uh you know the, the 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 office vacancy rates um i mean especially downtown i was there on a sunday night recently and it was a little spooky, mm. um, and and so I, I hope that um, the uh, I, I hope the new council and and the mayor um, will focus on uh, the important uh, again basic governance issues uh, that we need to confront over on our side of the river here. Uh, uh, Patrick Cooligan joining us from the Minnesota Reformer. One last thing here, I wanted to bring up the Zachary Roth story that you have. You know, because you know, we obviously were focusing on this off-year election, but next year is a major election. I, I talked briefly about it before you got on the air about the fact that regardless of whether you like it or not, there's only two choices we've got. That's going to be one of these two guys is going to be president again. Uh, and so you, you in, unless something dramatic happens to Trump, whether he goes to jail or something like that. But, uh, you know, th- this is where it's going to be. Talk a little bit about that because, I mean, I, I agree. I'm a little wary about what's going to happen as we're now a year out from the next major election in this country. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that democracy is very much on the line, um, especially if you take uh, Trump at his word that he's going to uh, seek retribution against his political enemies 
um, with the, the Justice Department. Um, certainly Mike, Mike jo- uh, Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, is this flat-out election denier. He helps craft Trump's uh, whole strategy. There's you know, I think the the threat of political violence is has um, is greater now than it's been in, in a couple of generations in this country, um, and and people seem to be. Uh, I mean, what what's kind of astounding to me is the the level of complacency about amongst the voters. I mean, if you look at the recent polling that has Trump leading, it's like. I mean, don't people remember that he, he did try to overturn an election uh, through what really amounted to a coup? Um, so that's just, you know, that is, it's very concerning. Um, as as Zach Roth pointed out in his piece, they did do some good work kind of clarifying the um, the election. Um, uh, that's the name of the slip my mind. But uh, the federal law that governs the post-election period, when you know there were various, um, it, there was various uh, parts of that law that were unclear, and that's what really allowed Trump to um, make those attacks on the democracy. And they've kind of shored that up, um, and with some uh, a major assist from uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who was as as uh, chair of rules played a big role in that. Um, and so it's called the Electoral Count Reform Act, but yeah. uh, I finally remembered it. Um, so, you know, that's heartening. Um, but uh, on the other side, you have all these election administrators. The, the, the people who run the guts of the election system are so important. Um, a lot of them are retiring um, and, and under the threat of duress, they just don't want to deal with it, and and that's that's Democrats and Republicans. So I think that's concerning as well. And I just I feel like even um, the the changes to the electoral uh, uh, the the ECRA, um, you know, it's almost like the last war. It's like how you're fighting the last war. How is Trump and and his toadies? How are they going to attack democracy this time? Um, you just you know what new um, uh, weaknesses and vulnerabilities are they going to attack in our democracy? And um, the, the only uh, the only defense of any of this is is just an overwhelming victory. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point, it doesn't look great. Well, um, just, just put, <laughs> keep your head up and, and do the work every day. I guess I would say this. I looked at that poll numbers. I was looking at the New York Times. Uh, no, there's no way on the planet that he's appealing to three times as many uh, of the black voters than he did in 2020. And I can tell you right now that 18 to 29, that is a nightmare for Republicans. They're terrified of that across the board. That's not 47, 46 either. So I, I'm not sure about the methodology there, but I'll say this. I'll echo something you said. Babies in cages. You had how many people died because Trump got upset that the doctors knew more about COVID than he did, so he had to play Dr. Bombay out there in front of the press. You know, it, and then, yeah, he tried to overthrow the government of the United States. There's that little <laughs> nugget, too. So I agree with you. It's going to be interesting to see see what happens coming up here. Uh, you guys are doing a fantastic job. I don't know if enough people tell you this, but uh, as far as a news outlet goes, you guys are, you know, you truly are top-notch. It's good journalism that's straightforward and honest. And I got to tell you, I'm just tickled pink you guys are in our town. I, I just appreciate that. Thanks, Matt. That's really, really kind of you to say. We're, we're working hard. You are. But I, it's, it's really all about the reporters 
um, and just do a great job every day going out and, and finding stuff out that um, that needs that the public needs to know. It is the best news source in town, Minnesota Reformer. If you can support them, please do, and make sure you're reading them every day. Share their stories. They are just top-notch. Uh, Patrick Cooligan, Patrick, thank you very much. As always, and just a, a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you very much for the time. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Patrick Cooligan, Minnesota Reformer. Let's take a break. Come on back. More of the show when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Matt Patrick here. Patrick, have you seen the image of the brand new baby giraffe? Where it comes you, it's so cute. Oh, uh, I just saw that the baby giraffe was born, but I did not see the picture. Oh, you know, there you go. There it is. A little, a little picture for you there. Um, that is a square peg round hole thing. How's that happening? In I mean, <laughs> that is that's a long neck and long legs to get come out. Yeah. Uh, you do know the story about the drafts over at Como, right? Yeah. Okay. They are the most prolific breeding drafts on the planet. Apparently, so depending on where you're at, depending on the wild animal, there are some animals that you cannot really breed in the United States. There's already too many of them in captivity and stuff like this. Not the case with giraffes. Giraffes, there is you know, like a need for giraffes. And there have been pound for pound, there is no more prolific mating, you know, baby baby giraffe factory than the Como Zoo. They have so many dang giraffes that come out of there. <laughs> it's, it, uh, there's a joke there. I, I better not. I'm not it's, 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 no, I'm not going to go down there. Needless to say, that's a lot of giraffes, man. And good for you. Um, let mom rest. Apparently, in a few weeks, they're going to put the baby out on display. I got to see the baby giraffe. That was my youngest daughter's first words. And we didn't realize it was, it wasn't, she said, giraffe. No, it didn't say it like that. We were at the Como Zoo. She was on my shoulders, and I said, there's a giraffe. And all of a sudden, and she kept going, shajar, shajar. And I couldn't figure it out. And it wasn't until I came back into the building, and she goes, shajar, shajar. She was saying giraffe. That was her first word, or she was trying to say giraffe. You know, she got better in enunciation later on. I mean, she, she's she's 16 now. She's doing great. But, um, yeah, Jar Jar, 952-946-6205. Congratulations out there. I look forward to being, oh, my God, it's so adorable, at your facility before too long. Prepare yourself for the Republicans screaming, stories of the day. First of all. Courtesy of KSDP, Metro Transit Police Chief Ernest Morales uh, III told the Met Council that serious crimes such as homicide, sex offenses, robberies, and assaults have decreased 33% from the end of the first quarter to the end of the third quarter this year. And that's something to celebrate. It's a true effort of men and women at Metro Traffic Police Department. I'm absolutely proud of them. We're changing the paradigm right how they've always done things. Morales told KSTP uh, the part of the success of his department has had over the past six months is connected to the fact that he's ordered police officers to get out of their squads more often and become more visible. Well, yeah, that was a problem before. 
We're strategically focusing on three to four stops within the lines and having them ride back and forth between calls for service, said Morales. But more importantly, we're having them step up onto the platform to just make contact with our passengers to see they feel safe because we're absolutely safer in numbers. Public transit rider Barrett Tillman told KSTP he's noticed more officers in certain times of the day, but he still doesn't feel entirely safe riding the light rail every day. It can get be a little sketchy at times, says Tillman. Anytime outside the rush hour, there's not a feeling safe around that it helps my mindset, but there's still a concern for me as I ride the train every day. Morales also told the Met Council Committee that the whole on Wednesday that his department is budgeted for 355 staff employees, and so far through September this year, the department had 183. But, the, you know, one can make an argument for 183. You guys have done a, a, a pretty good job if you drop the crime of a third. Now, I'm going to applaud this, but I'm also going to make sure I make an observation. Part of the problem that you are having is it gets worse in winter. When it gets so cold, what do people do? They generally get on the train and they're riding back and forth. And, you know, you you can't, you just can't have the open drug use, the open sex. You can't have that. You can't have the violence. And, you know, it would be great if you could get the rest of these people hired because by the sounds of it, if you, if you did... You know, you'd have an officer at the station. You'd have an officer for every two cars. I think that that's a, that's a really good way to do it. Now, that all being said, let's not bury the lead, though. That crime, you know, serious crimes have decreased 33% on the light rail lines, down a full third. That's outstanding. And I, that's this is where now you hear the... From Republicans because they just they can't stand the idea that it's uh, things are getting better. Speaking of which, second story on this one: filling up the Twin Cities is getting cheaper. It's amazing how many people. Well, first of all, I, I let me let me just say how much I love hearing somebody I know who drives a ungodly fuel efficient pickup truck that they then have added ungodly, less fuel-efficient tires to, complaining about the price of gas. Really, you say? You basically uh, are driving a brick down the streets, and you're, you're surprised that you're not getting good gas mileage. Oh, okay. I will say, once again, get a hybrid. If you can get one, get a hybrid. Holy gosh, I, I can't tell you... Yeah, I'm dramatically filling up the gas tanks a lot less, a dramatic amount less than I was before. Um, I filled it up the gas tank. That was that was over a week ago. I still have 300 some miles to go in my tank. I mean, come on, it's that's nuts. That's nuts. Gas prices, though, overall are getting cheaper in the metro area. The average price for a gallon of regular unleaded gas in the metro area dropped to 3.35 this week, down 50 cents since the start of September. A handful of local stations listed prices have dipped below $3 a gallon. Gas prices nationwide declined significantly over the same period, though they remained above the lows seen earlier this year. The seasonal factors, including the switch to winter gasoline, are contributing to the dip per Gas Buddy. Okay. The national average could fall another 10 to 20 cents in the coming weeks. Gas Buddy, head of petroleum analysis Patrick DeHand, of Gas Buddy said in a statement last week, providing even more relief ahead of the Thanksgiving travel weekend. Let me guess. Uh, hey, gas prices are about to go up over the Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, it's amazing how that happens, isn't it? 
By the way, that's um, if the if the he does say you know on this note that if the conflict in in with Israel and Hamas you know spreads to other countries, eh, that could be a kind of uh, you know trouble for gas prices. Yeah, it'd be trouble for the whole region, but sure, gas prices. Um, needless to say, I want to remind you that 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 Republicans. What two years ago were running around to every gas station they could find and vandalizing them with stickers that they themselves paid for to vandalize a gas pump where it was Joe Biden pointing saying, I did this. And then all of a sudden when gas prices came down lower, the same chowder heads went running around to those same gas stations and frantically were trying to peel those stickers off if they hadn't already been taken off because they didn't want him getting credit for lower gas prices. They never thought about that, did they? They're pretty stupid moron people, aren't they? Pretty dumb as a brick, yes. But here you go. It, it's Gas prices are getting lower, and... Gas prices are horrible. There you go, Republicans. Suck on that. By the way, um, if I may... You know how uh, you guys on the right like to 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 not only vilify everything possible, just to buy, try to make, convince people everyone in their life is miserable and keep voting for Republicans so it stays miserable. I guess the reality is is one of the other things you guys do a lot of is you you vilify the other side and you uh, kind of go on out there and you uh, attack drag queens, LGBTQ community. You scream at them about how horrible and wrong they are all these things and they're they're groomers and they're trying to to, to get kids um yeah you know how you say that all the time let me just get into this next story law enforcement knew a year ago that Olmstead county sheriff's deputy was trying to lure children for sex a local vigilante who hunts and confronts child predators says Matthew Richard Adamson, a 18-year veteran deputy with the Olmsted County Sheriff's Office, incursively faces three felonies after he was caught in an undercover sting conducted by Rochester and state investigators earlier this month. He has tried his, he tried to meet up with someone he thought was a teenage girl. The arrest and charges seem to validate concerns expressed by Chase Johnson, a local vigilante. Really? Is that how you how about guy that caught the child predator? who is known for online video recordings in which he confronts alleged sex offenders. Johnson said he reported Adamson to both the sheriff's office and the Rochester Police Department for similar behavior that he discovered in May of last year. I reported this over a year ago, and it's concerning they never followed up, said Johnson. I would agree with that. They didn't take me seriously, and now I'm facing prison time for trying to expose these people. Johnson is waiting charges related to one of his broadcast stings. So, you know... Rochester Police Department investigated Adamson after Johnson's report. Department spokesperson Amanda Grayson said she did not respond to questions about the investigation. Well, it must have not have been a real thorough freaking investigation. How about we say it like that? The sheriff's office did not immediately respond to questions regarding Johnson's allegations last year against Adamson. Olmsted County Attorney Mark Ornstrom, really? Olmsted County Attorney Mark Ostrom's office policy is that all reported sex crimes be sent to his office for review 
for any charging decisions. The county attorney spokeswoman said her office is not is, has not until now received a report alleging a criminal sexual conduct by Adamson. Grayson said the report was last year was not sent to the Olmston County Attorney's Office because it did not meet the burden of proof of prosecution. Ostrom has recused himself from Adamson's case, which is standard practices for charges involving local law enforcement uh, officers. A Mauer County Assistant County Attorney has been assigned as a special cr- prosecutor here. The public data request into incidences regarding Adamson is currently pending with the Police Records Department. Johnson shared screenshots of two conversations he had with Adamson on the social media applications Whisper, an anonymous messaging app. In the conversations, Johnston posed as a 13- or 14-year-old girl. Um, In case you missed the lead, not a drag queen. No, 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 no. And by the sounds of it, not an LGBTQIA plus advocate. No, not at all. Not even close. Nope, not at all. No, a county sheriff. And it's time for me to repeat the concern that I have had ever since Republicans have have insisted that the only people that are committing these crimes are their perceived enemies a.k.a. liberals or drag queens or the LGBTQ population. How many times was they were they warned against this guy, but because they didn't, this guy didn't fit their political narrative, they didn't pay attention to the charges being leveled against him? How many times did they ignore this man's behavior because, well, that's not a drag queen, that's not a liberal, so we can't smear him. So, uh, you know, know, that that doesn't do us any good. I am convinced that these same Republicans who only scream about they care about kids could care less about kids because they're ignoring the abuse that's happening in front of their faces because it's not someone they can attach a political label to. And that's just that, that. I mean, how do you explain? I mean, I, this guy, uh, this 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 guy, this vigilante, this guy that's going out there to to, to Chase Johnson, who's going out and, and tracking these people down. You know, I, I mean, I don't necessarily condone his 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 technique, but at the same time, if he finds out this information, how did how is this how is your heels dragged on this? How how did you not when he brought this these screenshots to you immediately put that officer on on you know you know you know unpaid leave and start a massive investigation into them? I don't know. Not a drag queen. But you don't care about that, do you Republicans? Not in the least bit. 952-946-6205 952-946-6205 We'll take a break. Come on back. Wrap up the show when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. By the way, I want to give people an update. I've told you I'm going to dump Twitter when I get to 1,000 followers combined on Blue Sky Threads and Mastodon. I'm, I can't deal with it anymore, Patrick. Are you up there at all? Are you, I mean, you've got an account on, I know you've got an account on, uh, on Twitter, but are you up there much? 
I have actually taken a long break from that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a long break, too. So here's the deal. Uh, if you're wondering, and we got about on the screen behind me here. I don't know how well you guys can see him through the camera here. But if you're on the Twitter beast, find me on Blue Sky, find me on Mastodon, find me at Threads. And all you have to do really is at Matt McNeil Show uh, on all three of those, and you'll find me there. The second I get to 1,000 total, even though I've got 4,000 followers on Twitter, if I get to 1,000 followers combined on Blue Sky, Mastodon, and Threads, um, on, on those, I'm dumping Twitter, you know, you know, like a $3 bill. I'm getting rid of the damn thing. And I just can't, you know, it's, it's just such a cesspool. It's just an absolute cesspool. And yeah, I, and so I am currently, uh, 437. That's not bad. Most of my Mastodon, I've been on Mastodon now for about a year. Uh, and Mastodon's a little weird, but I mean, it's not bad. I mean, it actually, I like how you can upload photos there. That's actually really easy. So Mastodon there, uh, but Blue Sky and over a hundred each on Blue Sky and, and threads and the, considering both of those are relatively new, I'm happy with that. I've got, and by the way, you can go to Facebook. I have no idea why, but 9,000 followers there. <laughs> so, you know, bon appetit, but that's, that's my goal. When I get to a thousand on those three combined, I'm done with Twitter. I'm, and I will not miss it. So please, please, please follow me on these other ones. All right, please get me off the cesspool. All right. Uh, should mention one thing I have not talked about is the national races tonight, which are people keeping an eye out. There's one Senate race in Virginia. It's an open seat. If the Republicans win it, they will have the trifecta in the state of Virginia, uh, and they say that the, the governor that says he's going to pass far-right anti-abortion policy, if he does, uh, we'll have to see there. Ohio, speaking of which, they've got an anti-abortion, or they got a, they, they got, they got excuse me, abortion rights to be codified in the state constitution on the bill today. Republicans are trying desperately to defeat that. And in Kentucky, it's a governor's race down there with a, um, with a Republican who is as well vowed to basically get rid of abortion rights. Once again, Stein's going to join us tomorrow. We'll have to see if the the standard that we've seen ever since the Dobbs decision, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, if that still stays the standard, that basically when abortion is part of the debate in all three of those cases, uh, the Kentucky's governor's race, the Ohio referendum, and the, the one Senate seat in Virginia, abortion is on the ballot. As much as Republicans keep screaming it's not, it's on the ballot it will be interesting to see what happens there. Please take time here to go and vote. This is the one great freedom we have, the ability to choose our our leaders. And if you don't, you know, it, it might not be long before you don't have that right again, depending on who wins. They'll have people that will basically say we're not going to have an election again. Now, that's next year. This year, it's a little bit more calm. It's city elections and school boards. Go on out, find out about the candidates. And vote by 8 o'clock tonight. Please do. Native Roots Radio is up next. We are back tomorrow with Stein. Till then, see ya.